Well, good morning. Matt is somewhat correct. We do have a guest with us, but we're preaching together or teaching together. So I want to spend a few minutes talking with you guys. Uh, we're in a series we started last week called Maturity. And this week is a little bit different because uh, we're not going to be in Ephesians 4. Uh, we are looking at different passages in Ephesians 4. Uh, today, we're not specifically going to be there, but the subject that I want to discuss with you takes a lot of maturity. And it, I believe it's a sign of us finding God's heart and finding biblical truth. Today, we're going to talk about a pro-life issue and why we as a believers, we as believers, we as a church, believe that abortion is wrong. And as a church, we don't want to just say that. We want to be a resource. Because I know this, statistically, that there are many people that will be at these services this morning, both men and women, who have participated on, at some level in an abortion. And I think one of the problems we have as a church when we champion this cause is we have an issue of pride. Now, sometimes we think that there are people somewhere out there that have been participants in an abortion and that doesn't happen among Christians and church people. That's just not true. We, we know that statistically. So I want you to know something, that you're at a place of grace and a place of restoration and you're safe here this morning because the heart of Jesus is for all of us to move forward in grace and truth. Now, one of the things we talk about a lot around here, and you're gonna hear more in the coming weeks, is a process that we call CIL Forward. And you can see this process up here is in the simple logo. You, us, and all. We, we wanna move you to caring about us as a community. And then as a community, we wanna care for the world. Now, this is interesting because when it comes to Sunday morning services, uh, a lot of times I have a lot of pressure on the you part uh, because I'll get emails or texts from someone saying, uh, hey, I'm bringing an uncle or, or my, my, my cousin from out of states in town and they're, they're really far from the Lord and, and, and we're hoping this is a special Sunday. And, and I don't mind those. In fact, that's good because that leads us to prayer and dependency of God. So don't, don't keep those messages from me. But there's a lot riding on every service. There's a lot of expectations on every sermon. And I've been there before too. I've been in the seats that you're in kind of with this hope that, well, I hope today really applies to me. I could really use a word from God. I could really use something. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit um, takes this weak message that a human gives and, and, and he makes it life. And so many of you will say, well, that message was just for me. And I love hearing that because it reminds me of the Holy Spirit's at work. So a lot of the messages and themes of Sunday morning are in that you part, real practical messages. And, and incidentally, the New Testament's very practical, right? I mean, the New Testament is mostly about relationships and interaction, and so that's okay. And then we have the us part, uh, which is community. And we'll talk about why we should be in Christian community or 
Someone mentioned to me at breakfast this week that there's the annual sermon on the tithe. I haven't given one of those in a few years, but okay, we'll talk about the responsibility we have as Christians to tithe and fund the church and worship God that way. Or we'll talk about uh, different, different aspects of church life and body life. And then there's the all part. And that's why maturity is important. Uh, that's why a couple of weeks ago we talked about Thailand and the world and social issues. And, and this issue of pro-life that includes but it's not limited to abortion uh, is really encompass, it really covers all of this because it's us as individuals and then it's us as a community, but then it's the world, right? It's the world around us. And one of the reasons why that I believe God is calling you and our church to maturity is so we can get to the all part. Are you with me? You know, we could, when we're always, you know, we're just hanging on financially and we're just hanging on relationally and we're just, you know, we're just so busy with our own lives, then, then we can't be concerned about social issues around us. And I believe Jesus is calling us to maturity and to health so that we can care for others. And so please know that's your future, okay? Your future the reason why God wants things to get better for you is not necessarily for you, okay? God wants you to, to be able to have greater health in all areas so you could care for society and for the world. Now, let's talk a little bit about this whole issue on abortion. There's lots and lots of arguments, social arguments, constitutional arguments, psychological arguments, biological arguments, all types of reasons that you can look into, and we may get into at different times, uh, of why I believe you should be pro-life and take a pro-life position. But today, in these last couple of minutes before I invite my friend Sheila to join me, I simply want to give a biblical argument, right? Because everything else you can kind of reason. You can have a back and forth, and that's why like I, like I said last week, we need the scripture because we can't really trust our own judgment. Our own judgment is limited. I mean, I've had a lot of things in my life where natural reason, I've come up with a conclusion, then I've gone back to scripture and thought, well, well wait a second. Okay, my way may not be the right way. God's way is the right way. And there is very strong biblical evidence that God considers a person in the womb of the mother, a person. Uh, God doesn't consider a human being to exist after birth. God believes a human being exists within the womb after conception. And let's just look at just a couple of scriptures and then we'll kind of change kind of the tone of this message. In Isaiah 44, this is not comprehensive in the least. It is just just a couple of samples. Isaiah 44, verse two. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. Psalm 139 is one of the defining scriptures. I mean, this is such beautiful. It was a song that was sung, but it gave revelation. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And then I think one of the most powerful scriptures is found in Luke chapter one, when Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, met up with her cousin, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was pregnant. She was pregnant with the man who would become John the Baptist. And we'll just have a sample of the story. In the story, it says, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, meaning the mother of Jesus, should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So from a scriptural argument here, we see that the scripture is telling us that there was even an emotion within this baby in Elizabeth's womb. Those are powerful arguments. And I just challenge you, all of the other categories that, uh, that I discussed, they're worth looking into. Biology, the constitution, psychological reasons, all those reasons are good. And different settings, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe talk about that. But today we have a really special opportunity because Beth and I have a very close friend who uh, have, has given her life to helping men and women who have participated in abortion, helping them recover from that. And we're going to spend some time dialoguing about that. Would you guys please welcome my friend, Sheila Harper. Well, good morning, Sheila. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. And <laughs> Sheila and her husband, Jack, we have been friends quite some time now. Yes. I don't want to tell exactly how many years. Many years. More than a decade. Uh, but I guess we met uh, when Beth and I, I guess it was our first year of marriage, wasn't it, Beth? We were engaged. Well, those details are, are sometimes harder to remember, but... Um, <laughs> I should just not talk to her, right? Does that just be a rule? I just, just never, never really works out for us. So, um, but I guess it was at a, it was a Super Bowl party. Is that right? Yes, in the gym at right. Cornerstone. So we went we to first church together. Um, well, tell me a little bit about you and Jack, and, and tell everyone else about your life right now and what your life looks like. Well, what our life looks like right now is I travel all the time with Save One, and my husband and I both, or I don't pastor, he pastors a church in Antioch, Tennessee called Crossroads. We were planted out of the same church that Pastor Aaron and Beth were, and so that's how we got to know each other, but about, it's been six and a half years now that we've been pastoring down there in Antioch, and we love it. We still live here in Hendersonville. We tried to sell our house and tried to sell our house, but now we just travel back and forth. So it was kind of nice to be able to just come one exit down the bypass to where I had to speak. I got to sleep in my own bed and everything last night. So um, that's kind of what our life looks like right now. He usually travels with me, except, of course, on Sunday mornings, he's at our church. So we have two boys, and we've been married almost 26 years. And Saturday, when, while you guys are at Goodwill, it's my birthday. So I just want you guys to know that. Well, great. And why don't you put up, if you don't mind, put up the slide with her name, because I want you to know the name of her ministry. It's called Save One. And uh, by the way, the church in Antioch is a great church. So if you know anyone on that side of the town, 
tell them about that church. And, and her husband, Jack, is just a great pastor. They do a lot of outreach stuff, uh, kind of like the backpack deal or the Appalachian trip. They do different things that, that, that are very much like that in Haiti. It's a fantastic church. I'm really happy to be a sister church with them. Um, tell us a little bit about this ministry called Save One. What is it? Well, Save One is a ministry I've been doing for 14 years, and it was birthed out of my own pain and shame and regret from an abortion I had on March 29, 1985. It's a day that I will always remember because it was easily the most regrettable mistake of my life. And what I thought was just going to be, you know, like something easy and and no one would ever know that I was pregnant and not married turned into being seven years of just total hell. So once I got back to Jesus, which I'll tell you about, but once I got back to him and I realized that his grace covers even the sin of abortion and that he had not shut the door forever on me because I made that mistake, I loved that feeling so much. I wanted to see other women at the time we were only reaching women enjoy this same freedom that I had experienced. So I, I didn't want to let that feeling go. And I knew if I was suffering the way I was and I had been freed from such incredible bondage that I knew it was for other people too. So I started teaching the, the Save One Bible, or not, it wasn't Save One. Then I started teaching the abortion recovery Bible study in Chattanooga, which is where I was living. And then it just kind of grew from there. We got transferred to Nashville and it was like God started dealing with me and and, and I realized that women and men need a platform to be able to tell their stories of abortion and what has happened to them. And so we can get the truth to our world because we're not hearing the truth about what abortion truly does to you in our society. So since then, what I thought was literally, I, I truly thought that it was just going to be a little Bible study I taught at my church. It has grown into 170 chapters in 14 different countries around the world, and it's been an incredible ride. And it's only by the grace of God. I'm not that smart to be able to to build something this incredible. So God has done every bit of it. Well, I appreciate your humility. Uh, you are a great leader. I know that. <laughs> and you're sweet. a courageous leader because uh, it, it takes a lot of courage to share that story uh, of, of what you've been through and what God has taken you through. So can you spend a couple minutes just telling us your story and, and sure. telling us what sure. God has done in you? Well, I, uh, I was raised very non-traditionally, um, so, and I won't go into all of that. You can read it in my book out there <laughs> called Survivor. But I, someone always took me to church. So it was like when I, I got to the point of being 19 and pregnant and not married, I knew what I was doing was wrong. There was something in my gut. I knew right from wrong, and I knew what I had learned in all these different churches that I went to growing up. And I, But I, I kept on. I kept thinking. I kept justifying it by... The, the Supreme Court, I kept picturing them, the Supreme Court, they know much more than me. They're much smarter than me. I'm only 19 years old. Surely there's something to this that makes it okay that I don't know about because they wouldn't have made it legal if it wasn't okay, <laughs> right? So that's how I justified the abortion. And I went through the process. My boyfriend begged me not to have it. Men aren't always the, the stigma of forcing their girlfriend or their wife to have an abortion. They suffer too after an abortion, just as women do. It was just as much his child as it was hers. 
So don't let, let anybody ever tell you that this is just a woman's issue because it's not. But um, I, I went through that day and to be honest, for about two weeks after that, all I felt was relief. I was so happy I wasn't pregnant anymore. I was so happy no one was ever going to know. I was so happy that I didn't have to face that time in my life at 19 years old. So as those two weeks wore off, my boyfriend broke up with me. The rejection started happening. The hatred for myself just, it was like the blinders had been taken off and I saw exactly what I had done. I paid someone $250 to take my child. And it's, when you insert yourself into God's role, you're, you're bringing on an aftermath that you don't have within yourself to deal with. So, so the aftermath of abortion isn't something that you can deal with on a human level because it is so far above all of us choosing life and death. So I spent the next seven years just abusing drugs and alcohol and sex and men and relationships. And I mean, it was like I, I was obsessed with hurting myself and making sure that I died. I just became obsessed with wanting to check out and not live anymore because that was the only end I could see to this pain. I attempted suicide once during that seven years and I, it was just a horrible thing to the point where I became hooked on drugs. I hit happy hour every night. It was just this endless cycle. And I finally, after seven years, during that seven years, believe it or not, I cleaned myself up enough to get married. I fooled my husband into thinking I was okay. He's the one I've been married to 26 years now. Can't believe he stuck with me because I took my whole family on this roller coaster ride. But we had two boys right away. And actually, my second son was born on March 29th. So it, it was kind of like God was giving me back a gift after I had taken one of his on that very same day because I, I asked God every day to forgive me, but I, I just could not accept his forgiveness and forgive myself for what I did. So I finally found my way to a Bible study in Chattanooga, much like the one Save One offers now, and, and it was unbelievable. It, it, was like, it was like I got my life handed back to me on a silver platter. It was like God just stepped in and said, you know what? You have suffered long enough. I'm tired of hearing you ask for forgiveness every single day. Every little thing would remind me of what I did. And I would ask again and ask again and ask again. So when I was released from that bondage, which it was simply just God's word applied to the gaping wound abortion leaves you with, that's really all it was. It wasn't anything magical that those women did or, or that the book I was studying did. It was God's word applied that healed me, and that's what we do at Save One. It, it was such a, a miracle. If you knew me before and then knew me after, you would see what a miracle, and you would understand what we see every day at Save One when men and women are released from this horrible bondage abortion brings. You know, as you were referring to your story early on in this conversation, uh, you used the term mistake. And I think that's an important term because I think those of us, I've been in the pro-life community my whole adult life. And um, because it's such a passionate issue and, and, and we get maybe upset at judges and we get upset at legislators or we get upset about the issue, um, pro, the pro-life community can come across very militant, uh, very aggressive, 
and, and maybe not realize that for most participants, it simply is a mistake. There's a, a lack of knowledge, a lack of education. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it is. Uh, when, you, when you're not in the pro-life movement, when, you're, when you don't know all that's going on all the time, which most people don't, unless you're ensconced in it every day like I am, when, when you're just a person living your life in society and you hear what you hear on the news, you hear from politicians, you see what you read, and, and, and the media tells you that this is an okay choice. They tell you that it would be archaic to take women back to not being able to, I, I don't know what all they say, it's your body, it's your choice. It, I mean, just on and on. We have been ingrained with these things that are not true. And so when you just live out your life and this stuff has been ingrained in you, when it comes down to that choice, you just start thinking it must be okay. It, it's not that bad. It, it's not the, the minorities and the poor people and the, you know, that sect of society that, that we reject a lot of times. It's not just those people. It's people like me and you every day who are having abortions, who are, are living their life. They get caught in some, some web of, you know, whatever, and, and they go have an abortion thinking that it's the easy way out because that's what we've been raised to think in our society. And it's just not true. It all comes down to money. That's why it is such a passionate, a passionate um, discussion, because the, the abortion side of this debate is a multi-billion dollar business. Every year, Planned Parenthood, that's, I mean, it's, it's in another book that I wrote. It's over a billion dollars they make, they bring in in revenue every year. So, I mean, it, it's passionate because they want to hang on to that, but it's also a, a gross negligence on our part as the local church who allowed the politicians and the other side to just hijack this issue that, as you just pointed out, is clearly, clearly written out for us in his word that we are supposed to be dealing with, we're supposed to be standing up for. That's why I'm always so incredibly thankful when I find pastors like Pastor Aaron who aren't afraid to stand up in his community and say, you know what, enough is enough. We're not going to do this anymore. Our church is going to stand for what's right. And he doesn't care about the controversy he stirs or the emails that you're going to get after this day or anything like that because he knows you have an audience of one to make happy. And that's who you're making happy when you stand up for the least of these and stand up against the abortion issue. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, although abortion is now legal and it's socially acceptable, I think one of the stories uh, that is lost is the social isolation that happens in women, mm -hmm. even in the pro-choice community. In other words, if, if, a, if a female um, has an abortion and those around her support that decision, uh, they don't talk about it afterwards. It, it becomes a taboo subject, even within the pro-choice community or in that mindset. Can you just give me mm -hmm. your thoughts on that? It's, do you find that to be true in the women you work oh, with? Oh, absolutely. Okay. The, even in the pro-abortion side, as Pastor Aaron was saying, nobody, no little girl ever dreams of one day having an abortion. You never think as a child that, oh, I hope I grow up one day and have an abortion. No, you don't want that. It's not something you ever want for your life. So, so to me, the, the pro-abortion people that I have met, 
they are, they, to describe them, they seem militant to me because they hate us. They hate that we're offering help for those who have had an abortion because, and I get this, because they would have to admit that what they did was wrong. And then you're faced with, oh my gosh, look what I did. But if they keep denying that the choice is wrong, then they don't ever have to face what they did. Does that make sense? So it's like they can just live in this state of denial and, and not ever face exactly that choice that they made because it's, it's too much sometimes to bear. So I, I, I agree that it, is, it may be socially acceptable to talk about out there, but you never, hardly ever hear of people saying, oh, I had an abortion, I'm proud of it. Those are always the people that, you know, you look at like, oh my gosh, like the girl who just had her abortion uh, videotaped. I, I don't really think that that was real. I watched it, but um, it, that was an atrocious thing. But it gave me hope because she wanted to show a positive abortion story, which makes me think our message is getting out there because we're telling the truth that abortion is not positive for anybody, anybody involved. Well, one of the things we're hoping that will come out of today's service, and we'll give you more details at the end of the service, is we want to provide here at our church, or within our church community, a place for women and men to talk because of this issue of social isolation. And um, so no matter where people are in their experiences, we, we want there to be a place where conversation can happen because there's a lot of healing that can happen there. Um, one of the dynamics I'd like for you to address is... is um, this idea that this is a very unique act because a female will feel like the victimizer and the victim. So there's the odd combination of, I would suppose, of both um, guilt and grief because there's guilt uh, for a choice they've made, but there's also grief because uh, they're also the victim of that. Talk a little bit about that dynamic. Well, when you say that, it makes me think about victims of rape because you are, you are a victim of a horrible crime and so many times we heap on them an abortion, like that's the answer. When, when we're not really helping that person at all who has, has been through such a horrible thing, we're not really helping them by just getting them to, be in a, to have an abortion. Because when you have an abortion, you're, you become an aggressor against your own child. You commit this crime against your own flesh and blood that is a true gift from God. It doesn't matter how the child was created or whether the child is wanted. It is a gift from God. And so to, to turn into an aggressor against your own child, you live with this like, oh my gosh, how could I have ever done this? But then at the same time, you're like, oh my gosh, how, how did I buy into society and they told me this was good for me. So it's like you have all of this coming at you from all of these different angles. And like I said, it, it's, it, we were never created to make a life and death decision for another human being. So we don't have it within us to deal with the aftermath. And so like talking about social isolation, it's like you just go into this closet and you hide for the rest of your life. And you make sure that no one ever finds out your secret. So you do everything you can, and in the meantime, you just kind of end your life at that point. There's other parts of your life that grow, but that part just stops right there. And that's not God's will for you. We all make mistakes. We all sin. 
but to just stop your life right here is affecting other portions of your life that you may not even be aware of. So you are the victim and the victim oh, and the aggressor all at the same time when you have an abortion. What about secondary losses uh, when the, the, the people you've worked with uh, as far as secondary relationships, the uh, partner involved, uh, people who are involved in making that decision, uh, what, what do you see in that? Oh, we see that a lot. As a matter of fact, and I hate to keep like throwing my books out there, but I just put the finishing touches on the friends and family edition of Save One because we have had so many people go through the Save One Bible studies that we offer who may be a child who has, and you know, she, may, she or he may be 30 or 40 years old, but they were raised by a mother who was checked out emotionally because she had had an abortion and couldn't deal with it. And so they, they have been, they were the secondary victims of the abortion. I had a man go through the class one time dealing with his wife's abortion, and he, he, he called himself collateral damage from her choice. We have a, a couple on staff right now who, Timothy and Christy Hall, who um, started Save One Europe, and then they went and started Save One China. And so now they're back in the States. But he came through the Save One class, and his wife came with him, who was not part of his abortion experience, but, but she had to live with the aftermath of all that he went through, the depression and the, the, this vicious cycle that he was in trying to forgive his college girlfriend. So, I mean, it's like this, these, all of these people are victimized. As I, I mean, this, this was hard for me. As I was finishing up this book, I got paragraphs and quotes. I, I went back and contacted as many people as I could think of who had been through the Save One class because of a sister who had had an abortion or a mother or a, grand, a grandchild that, uh, you know, a parent lost or something like that. And I asked them to write me quotes, like, what did the class mean to you? Why did you come to the class? That type of thing. I asked both of my sisters to write me something, thinking, you know, it's no big deal. And they wrote me, like, I can hardly even talk about it. <laughs> they wrote me two or three paragraphs each of how my abortion affected them. And I mean, this has just been this year and it's been since 1985 and they still just shed tears over a niece that they never got that is supposed to be in their life. So those are the parts that you're not told about when you have an abortion that you're still gonna be suffering consequences 30 years later sometimes because you, you just think it's going to be over with that day, but, you, but it's not. You're, you're still suffering consequences. And the, the people surrounding your abortion suffer as well. It has a, a huge ripple effect. Well, thanks for uh, sharing that kind of fresh thanks. story. Um, just a couple more things before we, we move on. Um, often the external motivation for having an abortion, it could be a job, it could be your education, whatever reason, um, from what I've read, it seems like often those things don't work out, uh, preserving a relationship. And have you, have you seen some of that, that, that the very thing that motivates the abortion, then um, people don't actually engage in? Absolutely. Well, it, you, you can never go against God's word with such gravity without suffering detrimental consequences. I don't care what it is. It could be abortion. It could be anything. You just can never get around God's word or work the system with God to think that these things are not going to affect you. 
So yes, the relationships are very rarely sustained after an abortion, whether you're married or you're just dating. They're very rare because you're opening a door of death into your life. When you, when you, I've seen many say that they had an abortion because they were in college and they didn't want to lose a scholarship or something like that. But then their life goes so far downhill, they end up losing it anyway because they can't sustain their life because they, they, they brought all of these consequences in. So, yes, that, that is very, very often we see things like that. We're kind of switching gears from the, the personal application to, um, I guess, the... Um, political, for, for lack of better terms. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Amendment 1 that's going to yes. be proposed this fall to yes. Tennessee voters? Yes. Let me preface that with saying Save 1 is not political at all, <laughs> even though we're getting involved with this. There's been two times that, uh, that I have lent our name to politics because I truly feel like, and this is our message, that this is the, the absolute opportunity and focus that the local church should have. Churches like this doesn't belong in politics, abortion. It has no right to be in politics, and we were wrong to let them hijack this issue. It belongs right here in the local church. Um, but Amendment 1, let me tell you just really quickly in layman's terms, because you're going to hear all kinds of stuff, and please don't take my word for it. Go read about this stuff yourself. But Amendment 1 is something that's going to be on our ballot in November. What started this was when abortion was legalized in 1973. It was a federal mandate across our country. We put, in the late 70s, we, the, the state of Tennessee put four laws in place to kind of regulate abortion. One was there had to be a 48-hour waiting period, kind of give you, you know, time to think, like, do I really want this abortion? Number two law was a late-term abortion had to be performed in a hospital obviously because they're more dangerous and serious. Uh, the third law was informed consent. This one really gets me because anytime you go for surgery, the doctor by law has to tell you what he's going to do to you and then you have to sign, usually you sign a piece of paper that gives your consent and says, yes, doctor, I want you to do that to me, okay? That's informed consent. So that was a law we had in place that the abortion doctor had to inform what he's going to do, and she had to give her consent, okay? And then the fourth law was um, that abortion mills had to be regulated and inspected on a regular basis. So from the late 70s till the year 2000, we had those four laws kind of regulating abortion, at least making it safe or safer for women to have this procedure and they weren't just going in to somewhere horrible, okay? So in the year 2000, Planned Parenthood saw that we had these four laws, and so they came in and they sued our state. A lot of people don't know this. It's a, 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 um, a lawsuit called Planned Parenthood versus Sundquist, and Sundquist was named just because he was our governor at the time. So they sued our state, and they won. Our Tennessee went all the way to the Tennessee Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court sided with Planned Parenthood and said that those four laws that I just told you about were bad and were restrictive of women being able to get an abortion, okay? I'm just telling you what it was. I can see your heads like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Yes. I know. I'm not kidding you. 
So they wiped all four of those laws off the book, but in the meantime, they changed our Constitution to say that there is nothing in the Tennessee Constitution that, that gives a woman a right to an abortion or, or will take away her right to an abortion. When our Constitution got changed because of that lawsuit, it made, and very few people know this, it made our Constitution in Tennessee the most liberal constitution in America, which means that if our president were to outlaw abortion tomorrow, say Roe versus Wade was no more after on Monday, you could still come to Tennessee and get a legal abortion. Very few people know that. It's all because of that lawsuit in the year 2000. Please go home and read about this and know that I'm not stretching the truth or telling you anything you can't just find in a nanosecond on the internet. So, so in, in November, this has been going on since 2000. In November, there's going to be an amendment to our Constitution. It's the only way to ever pass any of those laws again. Because right now, we can't pass any laws because of our liberal Constitution. So, when you see on your ballot in November, Amendment 1, do you want Amendment 1? You have to vote yes. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Pastor Aaron may not can say that, but I can say that. Yes on Amendment 1. Because all it does is make our Constitution neutral again on the issue of abortion. It doesn't bring back any of those laws. It doesn't do anything. It just brings our Constitution neutral like all of the other states. Because of our liberal Constitution, our eight surrounding states that border us all have laws like that in place. But we don't. So we have become known as an abortion destination. People come, We're number three in America for out-of-state abortions because people can so easily get one here. So it's not something that is, a, is something we should brag about or, or be happy about. We can vote yes on Amendment 1 and at least bring us up to the same level as all the other states. That's good information. Many things you said I was not aware of. Uh, we want to tell you how we're going to start the conversation is you can put this up on August 20th. We're going to begin a class that's going to be held off campus at the Hunt Club, which is just a mile, about two miles from here, but it's held during Awana. So uh, we have childcare basically from birth to through, through your high school seniors. There's something for them. So you can bring them to the church and then you can go participate in this uh, this group that facilitates conversation. Amy Mosley, her husband, Lee, is sitting right here. He's one of our elders, and she is um, a professional in this area, a professional counselor, and she's worked for the Hope Clinic in Nashville, so she's going to be facilitating this group, and it's, uh, uh, it's open not just to the Church of Indian Lake. It's open to anyone that you know who uh, needs to be part of this, and I think it's great. Beth, would you join us up here? Can you guys give a big hand to Sheila Harper? And Sheila, you'll be able to say hello to her uh, when we dismiss just here in a moment. And, and please uh, um, get a book and uh, let her know how much we appreciate her call. And um, let's just, in an attitude of prayer, let's stand together. We've been sitting for a while. And uh, we just want to... Now, a lot of information, a lot of emotions are swirling around, Right? I mean, there's a lot of emotion swirling within us, a lot of information in our head. 
but I just want you to know from the beginning of the service, we have talked about something very specific, and that's the presence of a living God. Our God is not a concept. Our God is not an idea. Our God is not um, something, someone who is made up by man to help us cope with life. Our God has revealed himself through a very specific personality. He's a, he's a very particular God. He's revealed himself through Christ. And I want you to know that uh, mercy is here. Mercy and grace is here. Grace is God's undeserved favor. If you've been a participant in this issue, I just want you to know you've not done anything worse than any other person here. You've heard the, the, the words we gave today were preventative. We, we wanna prevent something from happening in the future. But the mercy of the Lord's here. The Lord can make and is making all things new. Would you pray with me? Let's just pray. We got a couple minutes left. Not long, but they're important. They're important time together. And the table of the Lord is open to you. The Lord wants you to know that he has prepared a place for you. The mercy seat is the place where he sits. And he's prepared a table for you. And that table is there for you, not because of your morality, not because of your discipline. It's there because of the grace of the Lord. The grace of the Lord is available for you. And there is healing, healing today, but healing for a lifetime. He has healed us. Often, we, we just limit the scripture by his stripes you are healed to some kind of physical ailment, but it, it's just really just a small part of it. By his stripes, we are healed from our sinfulness. We are healed from our mistakes. We are healed from our ignorance. Uh, we are healed from our naivety when we do things, uh, um, do things that maybe we felt was wrong, but we didn't know how wrong it was. We're healed. We're healed people. And that's what the Lord is here for us. God, I thank you for the mercy of the Lord that's coming here. And we praise you and we thank you. I invite our prayer partners to go to the back left wall. If you have any issue today, it doesn't have to pertain to this message, but you just need God to break through in your life, just financially, relationally, anything it is, our, our prayer partners, we'll, we'll, a couple of our pastors, our prayer partners are back there to pray with you. And the table of the Lord is open. Before I dismiss, let's spend some time in worship. If you wanna take communion, I won't give any further instruction today. Uh, just when your heart's ready, eat the bread and drink the, the cup and you can do that by yourself. You can do that with friends, but we're gonna spend these last three to five minutes seeking the Lord together and then I'll dismiss us. Let's worship him.